Drive All Night is supported by listeners like you. To find out how you can help, please visit patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus. There you'll learn what exciting rewards we're offering for your support. Again, that's patreon.com slash songsoftoriamus to help us continue to make high-quality and Torytainment for you. Hey, everybody. You're listening to Drive All Night, the songs of Tori Amos. We are your hosts. I'm Efren Jr. And I'm David Anderson. And I'm Shay. And on this episode, we're wrapping up the B-side season of... From the Choir Girl Hotel. Hello, you two. Hi. Hi, Efren. Hi, David. Hi, Shay. How are you guys? I would never say I don't want it again and again. <laughs> <laughs> You're an endless well. Shay is our co-host for all our wrap-ups from here to the end of time. So welcome back. We love having you. You do so much work for the show. We couldn't possibly not have you on the wrap-up episodes. I love doing these with you guys. So thanks so much for inviting me back. Oh my God, you're so great. So we have Shay, but she's not our only guest on this jam-packed episode. We got to get started because it is jam-packed, David and Shay. Did you see the document that Shay put together? We've got so much to do. I did see it. It looks great. I'm really excited to (laughs) dig in. My work looks fantastic. On today's show, we are going to be talking not only to Shay, and not only will we be hearing from everybody who has written in since our last wrap-up episode, people have written in just to give their takes, their hot takes, you know, on what we said, on their interpretation of songs. We're going to be going through a lot of those emails, a lot of those messages, but we're also going to be talking to Chrissy Olson. She'll be here. You know who Chrissy Olson is? She legitimized us for the very first time. She spoke of our podcast in public. I feel like she spoke us into creation. She did. She really did. <laughs> um, we'll also be talking to Andrew Mars. He created a series of playlists that I've been listening to, and I just want to chat with him just for a few minutes. You know, like, say, hey, thanks for the work. Whatever. And we'll also be hearing from two more mermen, Jesse Colby and Michael Gillis. How have you been, Shay? Are you in love with Ocean to Ocean? I am so in love with Ocean to Ocean. You haven't a clue. It is so lush and lovely. And oh, this Tori of ours, she just keeps it up, doesn't she? She keeps bringing the best of the best. And this album, I have to say, hit me in such a beautiful way. And I haven't felt this way. I mean, I love every new album. And every time she puts a new album out, I'm like, this is my favorite album. This is the <laughs> one. She did it, you know? Yeah. But really, it this one is just... I don't really know how to put it into words quite yet, just because it's still so new. But every time it plays, I am like, oh, I love this one. Oh, this one. This one's my favorite, you know, um, throughout the entire piece. So, yes, loving Ocean to Ocean. 
Shay, what do you think is more important, the size of the track list or the motion of the ocean? I'd say the motion. Agreed. Like these 11 songs are 11 of the best songs she's written since Scarlet. I feel like. Oh, totally agree. All of them across the board. And it came at a really meaningful time in my life personally. Like I've been going through a dark time and it's all about grief. It's all about our shared experience of grief the last two years. It's just so personal. Yeah, still obsessed with it. And it's the most for, in my opinion, at least she's so, she's still, you know, got her cryptic, mysterious, let's figure this out Tory lyrics, but it is so much more straightforward than a lot of her work. And I'm loving that so very much. I feel like the line, just like my own witch almost did, rock tide ready to drown my marriage, is one of the most honest personal lyrics she's ever written because she doesn't talk about her marriage like that. Like that. Yeah. She sort of obfuscates things. And there's another lyric in 29 years about bombs in her bed, right? Yeah, exactly. Like diffuse the bombs I planted in our bed. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's like a diary entry. We should say hello to our new Patreon supporters since our last episode... Hello and thank you to new patron Lindsay Atencio. How much do you guys love Tori on a scale of one to Atencio? <laughs> Atencio. <laughs> Atencio. Hello and thank you to Belinda who upped her pledge. Some get snow Belinda. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Some get snow Belinda. <laughs> That's a great joke, David. Where did you come up with it? <laughs> Wonderful. Honestly, where do you get them? Hello to new patron Joseph Joestar. Uh, is there room in my heart for you to follow your heart and not need more blood from the tip of Joestar? I knew when I typed that in the document that you were going to say that. Really? I knew that that's where <laughs> oh, you were going to no. go. Yes. Am I becoming predictable? Yes. Hello to new patron Jose Pablo Ramirez. Hi. You can Jose it one more time. You can Jose it <laughs> one more time. Hello to new patron Josh England. Welcome to Josh England. Welcome Josh England. <laughs> you got to bring your own Josh. And finally, last but not least, hello to new patron, Trissy McGee. I never was one for a prissy girl, but I am one for a Trissy girl. Me too. Thank you, Trissy. And thank you to all of our Patreon supporters, young and less young and middle young. Hello. Thank you. We wouldn't do this without you. We appreciate it so very much. And let's get on with the show. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, first, Shay and David, I'd like to start with a few comments from pre-Choir Girl, because, you know, people find us at many different times and points in their lives. People listen to our episodes at different points, and sometimes we get listener mail from people who are just listening to, like, old Pele episodes, or probably revisiting them. This show is like Disneyland. As long as there's Tory magic in our hearts, it'll never be done. Exactly. You can go on any ride at any time. Uh Uh-huh. I re-listen to episodes all the time, so I totally get this. And every time I listen to them again, I have a new idea or a new comment that I think like, oh, this would be fun to talk to them about or whatever. So really? Oh, yeah, totally. Like I re-listen to them religiously. You're supposed to text me when you do that. (laughs) I have the exact opposite behavior. The moment it's out for the public, I don't listen to it ever again. Why? (laughs) 
I don't know, because I move on to the next one. Isn't that sad? I could learn so much about Toremos. You're the guys who are speaking about it the whole time, so I can understand that. But as a listener and a fan, you know, oh. I, uh, I like to go back. Have you ever listened to an episode and then found out something that we said was wrong and then just been like, that's wrong? Yes. Well, I disagree with you guys all the time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Privately. <laughs> but there are equally, if not more times that you enlighten me and make me think about a song that I've never thought of that way before. So, yeah. Have we ever made you throw anything across the room? Never. And you've asked me that question before. I'm not quite sure why you think I'm a tantrum <laughs> thrower, but I'm, oh. I'm really not. <laughs> I think Eve is just projecting because, you know, he threw his beekeeper out his car window. So he probably assumes that other people do the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> I think I slammed my glass of wine down the first time I heard the beekeeper. But, I always you know. <laughs> throw things across the room whenever David disagrees with me or has like a radical interpretation. I throw whatever I have at my disposal. I can't believe you have any objects left. I know, I don't. I keep my desk clear. <laughs> this message comes from Sally Kane, who messaged us on Instagram to talk about episode 311, Little Amsterdam. She says, Hey guys, love your podcast. Not sure if this is how people connect with you, but thought I'd try. I was just listening to your episode on Little Amsterdam and was just wondering if the line in the bridge about having a goat was referring to having a scapegoat and that the phone might be because a hit is being called in or the phone is used as an alibi. Anyways, just my thoughts. What do you think? I like it. I do too. I do too. Although we didn't have cell phones in the 90s really to like build an alibi with, right? But you can trace the call and, you know, find out what time the call took place and place the person at the scene or not. <laughs> like, no, I was on the phone with a goat. Sorry, I didn't kill anybody. A scapegoat. A scapegoat. <laughs> yeah, because this uh, the song is about a murder. I like that. I like that she's kind of brought it into being a scapegoat. It makes so much more sense than just a random farm goat, you know? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, that's weird. A random farm goat, as opposed to one that we're like more <laughs> familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> Little Amsterdam rubbed people the wrong way. We got a lot of mail. Next, we got a message just last week, also on Instagram, about Little Amsterdam as well. And Erica wrote in to say, hi, sorry to follow up on something so old, but I'm just listening to the Little Amsterdam episode and have to get this off my chest, though it's probably been brought to your attention in the past three years. I take her Sylvia Plath reference as very dark wordplay about the range, meaning a stove or an oven, which is how Plath killed herself. Like, don't take me back to that dark place. Okay, that's all. Thank you. Love you guys. Love you too, Erica. And I think that we have heard that from people yeah. since then, right, David? Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, you definitely <laughs> did talk about Sylvia Plath and the range being her oven. That's, oh, we did? Yeah. Okay, good. Yes, you did. I even went back and read the little Amsterdam notes when I saw this comment when I was going through it this morning, and it's in there from someone else. Oh, it's in there. Too. Sometimes yeah. people will, it's like, you know, how you like live tweet when you're watching something. Sometimes people right. will message us, yes. and then they'll write us back like a little later and be like, oh, you did say it later. <laughs> Yeah. That's what happens when your episodes are so long, David. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to work on that. David insists they be all three hours. Thank you, David. I insist. If we if we don't have three hours in the can, I'm like, keep talking. Just keep riffing. Right. He does. He's like, let me make another joke. Let me make another joke. So did this episode really rub people the wrong way or the right way? It seems like they were appropriately provoked, but no one seems upset. Oh, the right way. <laughs> No one's ready to kill us, it seems. And I just, I can't get over this. I think they're probably right, but I just imagine someone laying their head on the stove when we talk about the range, as opposed to like putting really? their head. Yeah, that just seems like too much work. But you're an innocent, David. You've never heard of drinking or sex and suicide via range. No, I don't understand. You're drinking or you're sexing. Shut his baby, shut just like my daddy. 
Shay put in the document to chat about Pro Widow, the Merry Widow version at Rough Trade. Let's chat about it. Let's talk about it. I didn't mean for us to chat about it. I meant um, that she was she talked about it oh. um, during oh. the. Yeah. So I thought that maybe you could include that little. It's like two minutes or something where she talks about the Merry Widow version, you know, that's on the Hey Jupiter single. You heard the lady. Roll it, Oliver. Yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Once. I understood that art could be a way to do that instead of just being a commercial activity, that it could be something that, okay, might not get played on the radio a lot, might not be in the dentist office, might not be one of those things um, that is escapism, but it might be something that can change how you deal with trauma. Is it healing? Do you find there's a healing there? It gets to to healing, but some of them are really more about, like there's a song, um, it's called the Merry Widow version of Professional Widow. It's a live version. And I think that song, that um, arrangement or whatever you call it, really expresses the the bones of that song in a way that the other versions didn't because it gets to the incredible um well i've said bloodletting before but it, it it really gets to this place of unbelievable frustration about how diabolical the patriarchy can be mm-hmm. and women can be in the patriarchy, as we all know very well. So it's about the abuse of power, power over people. And it's that version of the song that I think actually expressed it. Well, that was a great way to get into some Tory quotes that we missed this season. Shay, why did we miss these quotes? Uh, it's well, it's my fault. No, uh, <laughs> it's because you guys, it's because it's your fault. No, it, because you went through the land of Tordor through the map and everything. And when you did the primer and so these quotes just kind of didn't fit anywhere else. So I thought we could put them in here for the wrap up. So you're saying we left stones unturned. <laughs> you did because I never put them out there for you to find until now. Oh, hidden stones. Shay, why don't you read us this first quote from Mojo then? All right. This is from May 1998. Tori says, I got pregnant at the end of the last tour. It wasn't planned, but I was very ready at that point in my life to be a mother. Then when I miscarried, the music just started to come. You know, when you have this emptiness internally, literally, your hormones are crashing and everything is happening. When I'm in some kind of trauma, the songs usually tear across the universe to find me. I have a really good relationship with the muse. And she usually comes and brings a lot of girls with her also. And they started to really pull me out of it. So although I couldn't create on a human level, I was able to create as a musician. I like this in context, not only with this album and how these songs clearly pulled her out of this space, but even in context with Ocean to Ocean. Yeah. Like those songs are really pulling me out of a dark place and obviously pulled her out of a dark place. And it's just like, it's such a gift that her music can do that for her, especially because it's her art, but also for us that it connects so deeply. I don't think Tori has talked about her own work that way since this era. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of similarities in the way she talks about the Choir Girl songs and the Ocean to Ocean songs. You're right. You're so right. You are right. And they're both very watery albums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
She loves the water. Why don't you read this from the San Francisco Chronicle, May 4th, 1998, David? Apocalyptic imagery is a staple of Amos' songs, contributing to her <laughs> reputation as a bit of a self-serious eccentric. To some extent, she feeds the image, describing her new song, Cruel, for instance, as very much a dark angel, very primitive pig Latin ghetto feminism. I love saying that. But she's also... Did we not say that on the episode? Yeah, we did. We said that. Yeah, we did. Yeah, okay, because that's so famous. Yeah. Yeah. But she's also perfectly capable of levity. I think the songs have a sense of humor all through them. That's why I get along with the Brits. I think they understand my humor. That's what people miss about the work sometimes. They don't see the digs I take at myself. And they don't see that sometimes the sorrow has a dirty little laugh. Maybe you just don't get her when you say that she doesn't have a sense of humor, David. Maybe you just aren't British enough. Do I say that? Well, I'm definitely not British enough. Can we try to think of an instance in a song where Tori takes a dig at herself? Like, what would that be? Yes. Pick a song. Huh. Pick a song. You think any song, pick a song? From Choir Girl. Just from this era. Oh, from Choir Girl. Um, Pandora. Pandora. Okay. Pandora's a choir. She dives for shells with her nautical nuns. That's a dig at herself. And thoughts you thought you'd never tell. That's a dig at the sand. Oh, that's true. Because she's literally digging. Yeah. What about line me up in single file with all your grievances? And, and as we discuss that possibly being like inspired by the meet and greets and people laying all their shit at her feet. We talked about mm-hmm. that, right? We did. And I hope that that's true. Maybe. Me too. I do too. But I think that might be a dig at herself. It's more a no. dig at us, mm. isn't it? I guess it's a dig at us. I would, yeah, I would think so. Just think about that. Think about being Tori at the, a meet and greet. I mean, how does she do it? She has to hold a great space of like calm, you know, like center. Yeah. She always talks about like having to create a neutral space. Because like if I were Tori at a meet and greet, I would be a little bit more freaked out by people like crying, like instant not freaked out, but like I would be holding a neutral space because I would know that sometimes people just like burst into tears when they see me, which has got to be like kind of cool, but like also kind of yeah. Like- she handles it so gracefully and so kindly, and she goes on and brings it to the show, and you know that's amazing. I just I always think about that when I see these people in line. I'm like, wow, she's really listening to these people's life stories and she's handling it so wonderfully she's taking them for her song she's taking them for her song regardless of why exactly people respond that way can you imagine if just like the side of you was enough to make someone burst into tears all the time i know this is from the new york times may 23rd 1998 i would change my clothes to be able to sing the songs on this album because you have to become the sibyl of songwriting i've really been interested in allowing myself to be taken over by the characters in the songs you have to change to allow the presence of the entities of these songs to come for any songwriter to say they do it on their own well they must have a very lonely life i have a very busy life because these girls are coming in and out all the time since i was a little girl i'm never really alone there's a thread of my life running through the songs but it's a tiny little thread the songs never let me forget that they let me know as if they're saying we live and breathe and exist and you just happen to see us because of something that was happening in your life at the time they say tori it's not just about you and humbly i say oh thank you you who is the song Ooh, this gave me an idea can i tell you yes remember on the first wrap-up we played a game where with each song we talked about the ideal place to listen to it i think for this wrap-up we should do what would you wear for each song if you were recording it okay i like that i love it let's do it so now that we have a game to play we're gonna go to our listeners responses to our choir girl episodes Maybe next to give duties a try Trusting myself 
already done a wrap-up on the main album, but sometimes people write to us after the wrap-ups, and we don't want to exclude anybody. So here's a few things that we received after the last wrap-up about the album episodes. Heather Logston emailed us to say, I just wanted to tell you that I just completed a full year of COVID teaching. Second grade, some full remote, some half and half, some all in person, and it was a nightmare. I decided to save most of Choir Girl for my summer break as something to look forward to. Well, here it is, and here I am just telling you how much I miss listening and how I'm grinning from ear to ear for the first time in a long while. Love this album, love these episodes, love you guys. Keep up the great work, that's all. Oh, that makes me really happy. Thanks, Heather, so much for that wonderful email. About the Spark episode, Matthew from Australia, who I love, Matthew from Australia, wrote us to say that it's been a while since I listened to this episode, but I always thought that the spark was like the spark of an engine or the spark that lights a gas stovetop. You need that spark to start the engine, and the girls couldn't find that spark to start their engines of physical life. This ties in with surrender, then start your engines thoughts makes sense have you thought about it that way like the spark being the spark of an engine have you thought about it in that you know exact sense or no i never have actually no when mm-hmm. i think of a spark i've i guess i always picture a match like a match unable to light but like it's kind of like getting a spark that's the mm-hmm. spark i think of what is the spark you think of both of you i like the idea of like your engine starting and then tying it to liquid diamonds that's pretty great yeah yeah. Oh, that, that if you surrender, then you can find the spark to start your engine. Mm-hmm. I've gone through my entire life always needing a jump start. Have I had to jump start your car before? I feel like I have. Yeah. So I came across a discussion about the ice cream assassin mm-hmm. in a fan forum. And there's a quote from Rolling Stone. I'll just read it real quick where the interviewer asks one last question. Who's the ice cream assassin? And Tori playfully says, who do you think that is? And then the interviewer says, I have no idea. And she says, well, people have been praying to him for a very long time. And more wars have been fought in his name. The big guy. Think about it. Okay, so God, right? But I don't think we talked about the idea that Tori established that Lucifer drives an ice cream truck and then God is the ice cream assassin. I just felt the need to bring that Mm. into the light. Do we think that idea of Lucifer is what inspired her to cast God as an ice cream assassin? I think that's really cool. These two opposing (laughs) forces, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's really, that's, you're so smart. Like it had never occurred to me until I read this discussion, which is funny because I'm always thinking about ice cream. I mean, yes, opposing forces. I think to, if he's driving an ice cream truck, he's handing out ice cream to people. And then what would that ice cream be? You mean not being actual ice cream, but being something else? Like a metaphor for something else? Exactly. What is the ice cream that Lucifer would hand out? Like whatever your desires are, whatever your yeah, whatever is. yeah, something decadent and lovely, and something that brings an offering, a devious offering of something that just people can't resist. I love that idea and the idea of being able to enjoy it without shame. But then the Christian God comes mm-hmm. along and is like, not so fast. I went to this party last night at Precinct called Fat Slut, just to check it out, right? Because, of course, it was DJed by DJ Mateo Sagade. So I thought there would be like at least some Fat Slut like remix, right? Some hot like Fat Slut remix. No, there was none. But it was a f- sexy food eating contest, which was anything but sexy. It was <laughs> decadent. It was disgusting. And that was something about the ice cream just from there's like this guy Ooh. smeared mashed potatoes on his chest. So they were being gross on purpose. They were being filthy, not gross. They were tra- I found it gross, but they were being filthy. They were like sitting on the cake, you know, getting the cake in their boy parts. Sexy food eating. 
Did it yeah. look like the raspberry swirl video? <laughs> exactly, at the end, where they yeah. had like literal bits of things off their face. And Alaska Thunderfuck was the judge, and she was amazing. Ooh. Yeah, and Vicky Vox performed, Nikki Jizz. It was really great. But long story short, it had nothing to do with Tori Amos, and that's why we put it on the episode. <laughs> well, she didn't really coin the phrase fat slut, did she? <laughs> yes, she did. Those it's two a... words had never been put together before. <laughs> Once Tori does it, she's the first. Exactly. So many storms not right somehow. How lying becomes a mouse by the woods, birds, 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 birds. Why don't you read this from Sally Kane, who wrote about episode 403, Black Dove January. Okay, Sally says, hello again. I'm listening to the Black Dove episode, and I don't know if the dates line up, but I've always, for some reason, associated the blue dress with Monica Lewinsky's blue dress that she used as evidence for her affair with Bill Clinton. So maybe as a reference that Tori herself gave away evidence, and then the next line being because the perpetrator of her assault was actually someone in her family. The snakes, they are my kin. Anyways, just a thought. What do we think? Someone else mentioned the blue dress having something to do possibly with Monica Lewinsky. Yeah. Oh, I actually put it here. Declan Phoenix brought it up. Thanks, Declan. Yeah. Declan Phoenix brought that up in the... On the wrap-up? And it just makes me wonder if many others have had that same or similar thought. What do you think, David? I like this idea, but having just watched all 10 episodes of Ryan Murphy's American Crime Story Impeachment, I can confirm that the dates do not, in fact, line up. Mm. <laughs> you can confirm? Can confirm. Are you sure? I was just going to say, when was that affair, allegedly? Was that in 95? Well, the dates of the affair line up, but unless Tori was hiding under the bed, there's no way she could have known about it. She knew about it. She's always under the bed. Because Monica Lewinsky did not tell Linda Tripp about it until they were on the phone in November 1997, and the public didn't find out about it until September 11th, 1998, when the Kenneth Starr report came out. Perhaps Linda and Tori are old friends, and That's Linda possible. told Tori first, but Tori can keep a secret. Have we thought of that? I highly doubt that. Guess not. Okay, episode 406, IIE. Matthew, from Australia, wrote us to say, I really think you should listen to IIE again from Sessions. The howling at the end, why, goes into her saying, toodaloo girls, toodaloo to you. I am sure of it. It's so quick and you're still high and in awe from the why, but I promise you that that's what I hear. She's saying goodbye to the girls as they go back across the galaxy. And to me, it is the most devastating line she has ever sung. I was at my first successful meet and greet line in Toronto 2011 and met Matt, who was from Toronto. And we were freezing, shivering together. And he gave me his earphone to listen to sessions and told me to pay attention to the toodaloo part. I can't unhear it. Gut-wrenching. Thank you for writing in, Matthew from Australia. I hear it too. I hear the toodaloo. I was focused on the Y-I-I-I-I-I-E-U. 
I hear it too. What do you hear? I can see that, and I like that idea. I just feel like as the tour progressed, as she often does, the more she performs a song, it kind of evolves, and she changes her vocal delivery, and it gets more exaggerated and kind of wild, but it's possible. I think it's absolutely clear that she says Toodaloo Girls. We just had never, we didn't even mention that part in the episode, but good ears, Matthew from Australia. Yeah. I think he's probably right. Let's turn this into a listening party. Let's just watch sessions. (laughs) Goodbye. Okay, bye. Okay, episode 409, Northern Lad. Andrea Adams had this to say, David. I've always thought that molasses was in reference to her being slow to figure out how into him she actually was. Sorry, just now listening and had to say it before I forgot. Ooh, I like that. I do too. You know, it takes me forever to do something. It takes me forever to make a move. Yeah, and plus the sweetness, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I could totally see that being me too. Mark comes up to her and is like, you know, I want to know what you're like when you're an old woman going down to the garden having your tea. And she's like, cool, gotta go, bye. (laughs) You think he likes me? David, as the person who created this game, you're not doing very good at keeping us on task. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally forgot. (laughs) Maybe we should just start with the B-sides. That's a good idea. This is feedback we got on episode 410, Hotel. My record book sent us this great comment on Instagram. Are you ready to have your minds blown? Ready? I'm ready. He says, on October 6th, 1996, Tori played in Binghamton, New York. During a show, she mentioned the hotel that they were staying in and how she was inspired to write a song. It was the Hotel DeVille, which would later close and reopen as the Grand Royale. The historic building sat back from its downtown street and tucked in the corner was the Rathskeller, a dive bar connected to the hotel and steps away from its front door. Rathskeller is a German word for a basement bar or restaurant. I know that because I've been taking Duolingo classes. Which this was. The mention during the 96 show and the lyrical elements of Beneath Ground and Gestapo lead me to believe this was the hotel that inspired Hotel. So how do you, you know, are you like in school and stuff? (laughs) I had a dream this morning, I swear to God, I woke up in this town, right? Don't take this wrong, but it's very historical. It's so historical. It's the worst until we've been it on the whole time. 
Hotel de Ville. This is amazing. That's very cool. I love it. That's got to be true. I'm so upset that it's closed, but I guarantee you that anytime I'm in New York, the next time I'm going to be staying at the Grand Royale in Binghamton, New York. Formerly the Hotel Cruella de Ville. <laughs> Hotel de Ville <laughs> with the Rathskeller. To kind of switch gears for just a second about Hotel, I, for years, like way longer than I care to admit, I always thought that that lyric was Beanie's Ground, not Beneath Ground. And I don't know why, but so many misheard lyrics that I just... Well, that's cute because she always references Beanie. So. Beanie's ground. <laughs> Speaking of misheard lyrics, you know what I realized I do? And I have never been able to like verbalize this, but as we've been listening to Ocean Ocean, this is how I absorb a Tori Amos record. I never read the lyrics ever in my entire life. Neither do I. I ever. I just learn them. And then I feel like I can sing you every line of Ocean Ocean perfectly without any misheard lyrics. I really feel that way. The only slightly misheard lyric was Billy Goat. Out with my life. I think I know everything. Do you remember that promo booklet of the Choir Girl lyrics that circulated before the album came out? Looking at it right now. You are. Is it the white? It's just white, like black and white. It doesn't have any kind of. Yeah, I have that. Uh Uh-huh. I could be mistaken. I think it was in there. But at one point, there was an official copy of the Hotel lyrics where there was a misspelling of ground as ground as G. And I was like, oh, is this like property? Is Tori creating her own word again? Like, property, ooh, I we're know. Going, Isn't that so funny? We're going underground. Do you have it handy, Efren? Oh, I have to stand up, but I'm doing it. Oh, I had to stand up. Well, look at that, David. Beneath ground. I was right. Just a typo. <laughs> you were right. This is why I can't learn new things, because my brain is full of useless trivia like that. Well, let that one go, David. Let it go. Okay, now that it's been recorded and, you know. Yeah. Also about the hotel episode, Matthew from Australia wrote us to say, I just love you. Love, love, love you. And you know what, Matthew? I love you, too. I love you so very much. I was so scared of this episode, as it is one of my all-time favorite songs. This and Suede take turns being number one. But you nailed it as always. Why was he scared? Because we were going to get it wrong? Yes, because everybody has ownership over their song. They're afraid. Okay. I was terrified to approach that episode. Terrified. It's hard for me to hear that other people go into episodes like this, because now I'm going to feel even more pressure. Like, people are that invested. Like, if we get it wrong, they're going to be mad. They're going to be disappointed. They're, oh, God. He continues to say, I really love the mention of King Solomon's Minds, and then Exit 75. Exit 75 was one of my first internet profile names. I first knew of King Solomon when I studied ancient history in high school, and I was fascinated with the legend of the Queen of Sheba and her story with King Solomon. And I want to tell a story about Exit 75. One of the times I came to the USA... By the way, Matthew from Australia, we toured together in 2017. He's delightful. I can't wait to tour with you in 2022. Matthew. Okay. One of the times I came to the USA was in 2014 to drive from Vegas to Zion National Park to Page, Arizona, and Antelope Canyon hopefully head further east to see Monument Valley and back through Arizona to Vegas. On my drive to Zion on the I-15, I had seen signs for the Valley of Fire State Park, but hadn't heard of it before, so didn't know anything about it. It did sound like a mystical fantasy land and made me think of Tori instantly and Pele. Well, as I got closer, I saw that to get there, you need to take exit 75. So on an impulse, I took the exit and I spent the day going through the park. It is the most magical place with petroglyphs that are said to be thousands of years old, like me, painted onto ancient rocks, like me, that are in incredible formations, like me. It was such a spiritual place and I had this incredible feeling the whole time I was there, like there was some sort of different frequency there and I was also getting clarity to make 
life choices that I had been worrying about. I feel like Tori's words led me there to experience that. It meant I missed out on time in Zion, got there late at the end of the night, so had to cut short my time to go further east past Antelope Canyon, but it was worth it. Who cares about Antelope Canyon? Except for if you live there, anyone. Okay, sorry to go on, but sending you guys love and huge gratitude for all that you do. You're in my ear whenever I go on road trips and while I'm editing photos, and Matthew from Australia is one of the best photographers I have the privilege of knowing. Thank you for that wonderful message. Thank you. Ooh, that was a mouthful. Whose turn is it? You're going to have to tell the antelopes of Antelope Canyon and the Reindeer King that I'm going to be late for our meeting because I took <laughs> exit 75. We're going to take a little break here, but right before we do, I want to read this email from Jesse Colby, who wrote us to say, you guys, Merman episode and Fishbowl with the Jeremys was an amazing show. I loved how one of them discussed how time-bound music can be, Tori in the 90s, and how today music streams from so many sources and even for free. But back then, we had to have a single to know what to scout for and then save. Suddenly, I felt less bad about how I get during your B-side episodes because I didn't know about this song and so many others. I was a first-year student in college without a TV, car, or anything, but I I found my music. I did. We found each other. But maybe I didn't meet the B-sides. Guess I was just buying the albums thinking that they were complete. So your podcast introduces not only deeper dives into Tori's music, but it's also brought forward this back catalog that I didn't get the secret menu to know about. To think that Merman was out there at that particular moment in time, that I had to consciously uncouple from religion without Merman as a guide, that my first date with the man who has become my husband was on October 12, 1998, the date that Matthew Shepard died. To think I would have seen Tori in concert during From the Choir Girl Hotel tell, but I didn't know if she sang Merman. Feels like sliding doors to think how frequently Merman and I should have bumped into each other sooner. But here we are, randomly listening to this podcast on a night that has turned rainy, and in my mind, I'm trying to recall where exactly I was getting my music from in 1998. Suddenly, I was just filled with that remorse and sadness, and all that melancholy from being single and alone, walking with angst and lust and shame in the 1990s when a song like this could really emerge out of nowhere and become a friend, a consoler, a guide was super delicious to feel 24 all over again in all its pathetic and yearning glory. Night swimming in Salt Lake City, Jesse. Well, I couldn't wait to drop Jesse a line, so he's going to be here in just a moment. We're going to listen to a little song, and then we'll come back and we'll talk to Jesse himself about his favorite song, Merman. But first, we're going to listen to a cover of Pandora's Aquarium by Jo Beth Young. You can find this on her Bandcamp page, jobethyoung.bandcamp.com, which, of course, we will link to in our show notes at songsoftoriamus.com. Pandora's, Pandora's Aquarium. She dives for shells with her nautical mouth and thoughts
Jesse. Hi, Eve. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for that wonderful email. It was really meaningful to us, and we're happy to have you on our show to get the details straight from the fish's mouth. <laughs> First, tell everybody your Tory story, because you have a really unique experience that most people wish they had, but they can't say they have, but you have it. So tell everyone. <laughs> Well, yeah, I first met Tori through MTV, and it was in 1991 before Little Earthquake. No, 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 no. You can't just skate over that year. In 1990, what? One. Uh-huh. That's amazing. <laughs> before Little Earthquakes came out. Yeah, well, what's funny is I've never lived in a house that had MTV. It was my first semester of college, and I was living in my brother's attic, and they had cable. And so when they were gone, I'd sneak down and watch MTV. And I just happened upon this concert of, of Tori and was completely taken back. And then, you know, the album didn't even come out until January of the next year. And it was just like a raw live concert or what was it? What I remember is her singing Me in a Gun. And then I think they did show, um, I forget which video, but it was the one where she's crawling through the boxes. Okay, great. That's amazing. How lucky you are. And then you were hooked from the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've been there every step of the way. Every step of the way. I have every album. Although, you know, these B-sides, I missed that. I didn't have a car. I didn't have good access to the internet. And so a lot of the B-sides I've learned through your podcast. You know, me and David always puff out our chests whenever we talk to anyone, anyone who discovered Tori after 92. We're like, oh, well, we discovered her in 92. So I felt like your chest was puffier than mine right now, but I feel like we're equally puffed. <laughs> puffed poofs. We could both be puffed. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, I want to hear why Merman, why that song resonates with you, what your journey with that song is. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of funny because, again, I didn't know about it until this year when I heard your podcast. But had I known about it, and this is what I meant by is kind of a sliding doors moment, is I think it would have been um, adopted into the ritual that I used to leave the religion that I was raised in. Just that opening line and and everything, I think it would have been a good guide, as Tori so frequently is, um, to one's life. But, you know, I had to find my way to that process alone. And maybe it's okay, because um, the year that that came out was also the year I met my boyfriend, who's now my husband, and so at least I had him for a guide. I love how you said that you had to consciously uncouple from religion. Can you talk a little bit more about that journey? Yeah, well, it's twofold, I guess. One is, you know, a lot of my family is still practicing at the faith that I grew up in. And so I didn't want to have animosity that I needed to take control of my own life. Just from a values perspective, I didn't want to be a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be getting engaged and married to a man and then like having my name as part of the records of some religion that actively works against the lives of gay people. In some ways, like what you said about how many times when you look back, you think how many times you should have bumped into the song earlier and how that might have like yeah. helped you in a different way, you know? 
or guided you maybe in a different way. I think like maybe you found it at the exact right time. Maybe you have the perspective now of age to be able to see that journey clearly. Yeah, I definitely don't disagree with that because, you know, here we are. And again, when Choir Girl came out, which is this album, you know, I was deep in love. I was in early love. Um, And so it would have been two more years into the future when I started the process to leave my religion. Mm -hmm. And so maybe I had an up energy rather than the lullaby energy. I love the song for being a lullaby, but maybe I needed a more energetic (laughs) pathway through rather than being consoled through. Because the song is very consoling to me. You weren't about lullaby energy then? Well, no, I was. I'm just, you know, responding to what you said about timing, you know, that I was grateful for your podcast for finally sliding that door open. And it just makes me feel a deeper connection, whether I was aware of it or not, to Tori, because she is still kind of a spirit guide. Mm-hmm. In this song, what's your favorite moment? What's your favorite lyrical moment? Uh, the opening. Is it the go to bed, priest or dead? And the following line, now no one can call you bad. You know, and I don't know how many people talk about their favorite line being the opening line, but, you know, as a lullaby, it just really sets the tone. And she kind of like went right there to destabilize (laughs) any conceptions around lullabies and let you know that we're going to get real here. So, yeah, now no one can call you bad. That was a thing that um, I would love to have heard then. It's funny because when I ask people what their favorite line in the song is, a lot of people point to that line. A lot of people do. And it Mm -hmm. seems like this is a really strong song for people with a religious background, like a really strong, like coming of age song. Yeah. Guess we needed a minister's daughter to tell us that we're not bad. Jesse, thank you so much for being on our show. If you want to follow Jesse, you're going to have to move to Salt Lake City and find him because of privacy. Privacy. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Bye. Bye bye. up we have michael gillis from toronto canada he is also a merman super freak and you can find him on instagram at mike light hi michael hi ifran thank you so much for having me today so excited that we could make this work i'd like to hear a little bit about your background first and how you came to tori oh yeah so i was born and raised on the east coast of canada on cape Breton island so it was a rather rural isolated small town And when I try to think back specifically about when I discovered Merman, it's a little bit cloudy, but I really think back to the bootleg from 2003 from St. Louis. And that performance of Merman specifically had the little sign improv and then segued into Merman. I remember that being very, very distinctive. So I think back to a time, you know, in the middle of cold winter, in the middle of nowhere and discovering that bootleg of Merman and how deeply it touched me and how deeply it resonated with myself. What's your uh, religious upbringing? 
Well, yeah, so I was raised in a very traditional Catholic family. And so I think for my family, there was a lot of intergenerational pain. And, you know, I guess even to be blunt, like a history of sexual abuse from priests within the church. Thankfully, you know, I didn't fall victim to that myself, but I definitely had to endure a lot of mental abuse when it comes to that and to that religious background. So I think distinctively that line, go to bed, priests are dead, was just such a power moment for me. And to hear someone like Tori that I idolized so much relaying that to me, you know, as fans, we think we manifest these songs together with Tori. And I really had a strong feeling of like mutual manifestation when it came to that song. What's your favorite lyrical moment and what does it mean to you? Mm, Well, I definitely think the go to bed dream instead is a favorite line. You know, at the time I had dropped out of college, I was living in my parents' basement, really just kind of like struggling with coming out in my early 20s, coming out to my family. And, you know, the depression that came with that. So sleep and the way that sleep worked for me, whether sleep was a demon or whether sleep was a therapy, I think that lyric from the song really resonated. It was really much about taking your real life problems, putting them aside, going to bed, dreaming instead, and going to a better place, going to that peppermint land. I think the other lyric that gives me chills is cross your land of ice. And I think particularly when I discovered that bootleg from St. Louis in 2003 and made the connections to Matthew Shepard, that bootleg was from March. And here I was stuck in the cold of this stark, stark winter, literally surrounded by the ocean and by the icebergs. It really felt like I was in the place of that song that Tori was singing from. That's beautiful. When you hear the song, do you have like a picture of a merman in your mind? And if so, what does he look like? I think I do. I think I just, I love mermen. Are you thinking like a King Triton kind of person? No, I'm definitely thinking more of like the sexy boyfriend who's coming to rescue me. I think it's only recently that I discovered Tori wrote Merman more with Mark in mind, Mm -hmm. with her husband. Mm -hmm. And I've never really related to that aspect. Also, I think when I've listened to the song over the years, the Merman that I'm picturing is actually like more myself than another person, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. So it's like you're the Merman and you're you're the one who survived. I'm the Merman. Got it. I love that I tossed out King Triton and you're like, no, I'm thinking more like a sexy boyfriend. And I'm like, so was I. That's why I said King (laughs) Triton. (laughs) Um, What do you make of the line, you're my little goat? So I love that line. I, I love the line, you're my little goat. And I think to the reference, you know, back with like religious background, I think of the religious sheep, right? Or the traditional analogy that Jesus is the shepherd and his followers are the sheep. And so traditionally, if you're not a follower or if you're a heathen, then you're considered to be the goat, right? And I I love that element of the song, we are the little goat, or if she is singing it to the gay boys, then we are those little goat boys. (laughs) I love that. Good choice for a signature song, Michael. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Yeah. thanks for having me. (laughs) Yeah, so you can find Michael online at Mike Light on Instagram. Follow him right away. This one's for Michael. Have a great day. Excellent. Bye. Bye. Thank you. 
All right, we've made it to the B-sides. Should we start with the first one? That would be Merman. Does that mean we made it to our game? Your game? We've made it to the game. It's all been a game. And I am losing. Fun and games to you. Let's do the game after we read through the quotes. How about that? I love it. I love order. Rules help you control the fun. Mm-hmm. We heard from Jamie Soretti, who we love, who we cried with, who we've laughed with, but mostly cried. I've never felt, honestly, more vulnerable and gay than when I think back, not even when it was happening, but when I think back on what we went through in the Hey Jupiter episode. <laughs> Crying. I'm pretty sure you felt more gay, but... I, well, yeah, I felt pretty gay many times in my life. Last <laughs> night at Fat Slut, for example. <laughs> I know. Are we ever going to have a moment like that on the show again? I'm like looking into the future. I hope so. I'd like to invite people to interpret things with us, like do line by lines with us more often. I would love to be part of that. Oh my God, Shay should do some with us. I would love that. For sure. What did Jamie have to say, David? All right. Jamie wrote in to say about the line, you're my little goat. Do we know Mark's birthday? I wonder if he's a Capricorn. And that's the goat reference in Merman. You two are once again cracking me up this episode. Love, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. That is such a good question. Of course. How did we not think of that? Do we know what Mark's sign is? I did a little bit of digging and asking around and found out that Mark was born sometime between April and June of 1965. Mm. 65? Yeah. He's younger? 65 by two years. Oh my God, robbing the cradle. Cradle robber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he's one of four. He's either an Aries, a Taurus, a Gemini, or a Cancer. But he's definitely a mystery. But he's not a Capricorn. Well, hopefully, if his birthday is between April and June, I would look to the upcoming tour schedule, which presumably will be between April and June, I assume, look for any days off or look for like a glint in Mark's eye on any particular day. And then that's his birthday. We're like, you know, just keep keep your ear to the ground. See if you see any party hats lying around. I don't know. He might just really love Cinco de Mayo. Let's not get carried away. <laughs> Do you think they would really plan an entire tour to have Mark's birthday off? Tori doesn't get her own birthday off. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're right. Like, they wouldn't take a <laughs> day off on his birthday. Fine, fine. I would demand to not work on my birthday. <laughs> I had my fingers crossed that he was a Pisces like me. That'd be a real merman. A fish. Starving fish. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, round one. If we were going to record Merman and change our clothes to really get into character, what costume would you wear? I'll go first. I probably said this on the episode, but it's just right, so I'll say it again. I would wear an old-timey, like, 1920s or before swim costume. You know, down to the knee, striped, heavy, full coverage. How about you guys? I mean, this is so stupid, but the first thing I thought of was obviously, you know, those those people that believe they are mermaids and they put on those skin tight tails and they go swimming in like Olympic diving pools. I would have to be in one of those obviously pushed in in like a wheelchair or something because I couldn't maybe I could hop to the mic, flop myself down on the piano bench. And there I am in my ridiculous I would wear a shimmery, glittery, sequined mermaid ball gown in teal. Mm. Loving. And I would have beautiful red aerial hair, like Rachel from Big Brother 14 and 13, with like extensions. And I would have like my boobs pressed up. And yeah, that's how I would do it. You look good as a redhead. We've seen it. Thank you. I wouldn't even be able to press the pedals because my ankles would be too constrained by the mermaid cut of the dress. Yeah, there'd be no sustain. Be a very staccato merman because you couldn't pedal. Go to bed. The priests are dead. Yeah. Thunder wishes it could be you now. Wishes it could be you. 
Moving on to episode 415, Purple People. Let's start with this little gem that Lori sent us that I noted when I saw it back when I saw it last year, but then I forgot all about it, and she reminded us by sending us this video. Roll it, Oliver. What is your favorite breakfast food? I hate breakfast. What? She has been lying to us. Breakfast every hour could save the world, <laughs> but not if you hate breakfast. Why, why are you lying? Yeah. What are, you, what are you hiding? What are you hiding? This is like on Greg Kinnear when he asked her if she's a good cook, and she said yes. And ever since then, she's always said, like, I don't cook. I can't cook. Well, which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She can make sandwiches. That's true. She likes a sammy. That's what she always says. A good sandwich, yeah. You can hold two ideas, simultaneous ideas. Like, I hate breakfast normally. I don't eat breakfast. But, like, hungover, I love breakfast. You know, it could save the world. I like breakfast on vacation. For some reason, it feels decadent to me. Like, ooh, <laughs> get me some eggs, Benedict. <laughs> ooh, the most important meal of the day. Yeah, mm, I'm prioritizing myself on this trip. There's not that many options. I mean, it's like, okay, let's just talk about America. American breakfast, what do you have? You've got eggs, some kind of meat, some kind of bread. And like dairy and juice. What do you something. mean? What do you mean? Some kind of bread that could be a muffin. It could be French toast. You know, it could like be a, a pancake, a waffle. Exactly. But they're all like bread. Like, why are we so just like? Oh, you can only eat these items. This is breakfast food. It's so boring. You know, like I want to have noodles for breakfast or some kind of like poke bowl. That would be a good breakfast. Mm. Maybe that's why Tori hates breakfast because she's limited to the boring foods that we are. What, since David can't remember that we're playing a game, I'll take it away. What would you wear to record purple people? Starting with Shay. I don't know. I'm thinking I'm going to be bundled up. So what about um, a nice furry big winter coat? Mm. Um, because Thunder wishes it could be the snow. And so I'm hoping for that as well. Yeah, just bundled. I would wear a white gi. Oh, a gi, yes. Like a karate? Yes. I don't know if that's appropriate for doing judo as well, but that's what I would wear. I would dress up as a yeti, and I don't know why. I would have a big <laughs> yeti costume. I first was going to say grimace. Yeah. Oh, please go with that. It's so weird that you just said yeti. Why? So to make a very long story short, I was in New York City in February of 2005 to see Tori for that talk she did, you know, at the the Y Center or something. Anyways, my cousin and I were in Central Park and there was this very tall woman dressed head to toe in fur and she had the hood on and everything. And so when I was thinking uh, just a second ago what I wanted to wear, you know, to this game we're playing, um, I thought about that. And because we called her the Yeti of Central Park and because of the way she was dressed head to toe in white fur. And so when you said Yeti, I was like, oh, my God, that's so weird because I was thinking of the Yeti of Central Park when I pictured my coat. And now you want to be a Yeti as well. Funny. Well, if I were recording this, I would dress as a Yeti and I would wear purple stiletto heels that had purple fringe on them, you know, so they would like, you know, you could shake your foot and it would like shake. Love it. Oh, this is why David didn't want to play the game because we have more to talk about from this episode. <laughs> about purple people, Matthew from Australia wrote us to say, Oh, this song came back to me really hard over the last year. The line, just when you escape, you have yourself to fear. Oh my God, it kills me now. I lost my job of 17 years because of the pandemic, but it's the push I needed to become a full-time creative. And it's like, okay, you made it out of the corporate world. You escaped, but now you have yourself to fear and your thoughts and your doubts and your inner saboteur can be scary. Absolutely. I think any artist knows that. And follow Matthew from Australia's wonderful photo page at MatthewTaylorThomas.com. He is such a beautiful photographer. I love his work. Let's manifest him photographing Tori's next album. 
Ooh. Why don't you read this, David? All right. This must have been a very popular episode because we also got some feedback from Brooke Parrott. Brooke Parrott wrote in to say, just a quick thought about your Purple People episode. I hadn't thought about this song being about her relationship with her fans until I listened to you two, and it makes a lot of sense, especially because if you are a Tory looking out at a crowd of people from the stage, mostly in the dark, but lit by light in the blue-purple spectrum, I bet we look a lot like Purple People to her. I can see where we truly are ears with feet to her, and she adores us, but in other ways, we are the Purple People. Purple faces staring up at her as she performs. That's cute. That's cute. Did you see that one TikTok of the girl who painted her face for Halloween and she used this like blue face paint and then it would not come off? It took her like oh, no. eight hours of scrubbing with all kinds of different chemicals to even get it a little off. Like it just was her face just stayed blue. I wonder what kind of paint she used. It was like face paint. It was paint that you were supposed to use for your face. And then she like tried the white and the gray and the black and those all came off. But the blue for some reason just wouldn't come off. And she had been a blue balloon. So she painted her whole face blue. Oh, uh. Also about purple people, Mark Firewalk with me had this to say. Hello, David and Ephraim. Love the Drive All Night podcast. I've been binging it since I discovered it. Anyway, been listening to the Choir Girl podcasts. You guys brainstormed actors to play the song girls if Choir Girl was a film. Here are my choices. For Spark, Mia Wasikowska. Yeah, she played Alice in Wonderland in the Tim Burton Alice oh, movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, and... yeah. And she was in like a horror movie too, right? Or some kind of scary movie. Oh, yeah, she was in Crimson Peak. Yes, that one. Mm-hmm. Cruel would be played by Angelina Jolie. I like that. Black Dove by Elliot Page. Ooh. Love that. Raspberry Swirl by Laverne Cox. That's interesting. Oh, that is interesting. Jackie's Strength would be played by Frances McDormand. Oh my God, she would be so casual for her wedding. Like no makeup, just natural. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a cool choice. IIE by Viola Davis. That's really cool. I love that. Love her. Liquid Diamonds by Fomka Jansen. Mm. Do you guys yeah, know from who that Run is? Lola Run. I don't know that I've seen that. She's Jean Grey in the X Men movies. Mm, I don't know those movies okay. either. Uh, She's Your Cocaine would be played by Michelle Yeoh. Northern Lad by Rosario Dawson. Love that. Hotel by Sherilyn Fenn. First of all, inspired casting on Hotel because you know what? Boxing Helena changed my life and I felt like that was the sexiest portrayal of a woman at that age that I'd ever seen is Helena in Boxing Helena. And Sherilyn Fenn, when I discovered her on Twin Peaks, I was like, oh my God, I wanted to be her. And I am Hotel. So there you go. Thank you. Playboy Mommy by Olivia Wilde. Uh, Pandora's Aquarium by Jodie Foster and Purple People would be played by Helena Bonham Carter. What do you think? Asks Mark. I chose to include Purple People because I have the Japan version that includes the song in the track listing. So that's why he included this one. Those are cool choices. At my insistence, Mark wrote us back with additional casting for the extras or the B-sides. He said, Merman would be played by Shella Mann. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas would be played by Laura Linney. Do it again. Obviously, Lindsay Lohan. Bachelorette, Parker Posey. So good. Never Seen Blue would be Emma Stone. And Beulah Land, Tony Collette. Much like I'm doing now, didn't we forget to play our own game at a certain point and we stopped casting yes. these songs? Yes. <laughs> you know what I could simply do is just like write it down on an index card and like tape it to my desk in front of my face when we record and then I would remember. Yeah. I'm not sure I necessarily understand why, but I'm sure there's a really good reason. I love Jodie Foster as Pandora's Aquarium. Imagine if she was like, Dr. Lecter, lie me up in shingle file with all your grievances. Maybe you're afraid too. <laughs> 
<laughs> You've just been sitting on this Jodie Foster impression this whole time. No. I, no, I was going to say David. There's your drag right there. Seriously. Seriously. I'm infuriated. We're going to have to take a break. And on our break, we're going to come up with David's drag name. We'll be right back with an interview with Chrissy Olsen. Just when you escape, you have yourself to I'm on the line with one of our nearest and dearest, Chrissy Olsen, who legitimized us for the very first time. I always say that because I respect, I love. Hi, Chrissy. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So good to talk to you. You're here to explain your email. You sent us an email on May 29th, 2021, so not that long ago, and it says, hey guys, and the subject is purple people with a purple heart. Hey guys, I don't know why I don't think to email you these things before you record the episode, but here I am again on the wrap-up episode. Here you are, and why don't you? <laughs> Let's talk about that first of all. Can you prepare? I don't know. Yeah, I need to start preparing. Yes. <laughs> I guess partially, too, I'm thinking, well, they probably know this. <laughs> why, why should I tell them how to do their job? They know. But... They know some things. <laughs> Just as a note, we always welcome anyone to email us anything, especially if it's knowledge. Yeah, okay. But she continues to say, around the time of Choir Girl, maybe a little later when I was in college, I got into Billie Holiday. I flipped out when I listened to Strange Fruit and realized that the intro to Purple People is very similar to the intro to Strange Fruit, specifically the last several notes of the Purple People intro. I wouldn't be surprised if she was going for a jazz sound on Purple People and her subconscious brought this forward, since we know her mom loved Billie and of course, Tori herself covered Strange Fruit without the intro. Well, okay. I just wanted to say I revisited her cover of Strange Fruit, and there is an intro. But it's not the intro. But it's intro. not the same intro. Got correct. It. Yeah. Sneaky. <laughs> She's like, I'll just keep this for myself for later. <laughs> Right? Chrissy goes on to say, additionally, there is certainly a similarity between what the terms purple people and strange fruit can be interpreted to mean. Talk about that. So, I mean, obviously, when you guys talked on the purple people episode about your interpretation, I loved it. I had never even thought of purple people as being about her being a, a famous musician and what it takes to give to the audience every night and just give of herself like she's not even her own person like I love that I had never even thought of that but I had always thought of purple people to mean children who have died or any like any person who has died because purple is like death mm -hmm. and so that's sort of similar to the idea of strange fruit which is of course about lynching and then obviously the jazz feel so you know I was listening to it again so from about just to give the audience an idea. There are a few versions of Strange Fruit, the original by Billie Holiday. 
But um, the intro to Purple People, that sounds like the intro to Strange Fruit, is from the first recording of mm. Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday. Okay. So it was like 1939, I believe, on Commodore Records. From about 15 seconds to 27 seconds, it's that exact same part of the Purple People intro. And then the intro to Strange Fruits even longer. And from about 44 seconds to 49, it sounds like Thunder wishes it could be the snow melody line. Thunder wishes it could be the snow. Wishes it could. I'm not sure I really picked up on that back in 2000 or so when I first heard this but when I was listening to it now I was like whoa so it became even more of a thing and even the time in between the uh the purple people sounding intro and the thunder wishes it could be a snow it's even the same tempo as like the verse hey do you do judo like if you sang two bars of the verse and then started singing the chorus it kind of just goes with it well, hey, do you do judo when they surround you? A little mental yoga, will they disappear? Thunder wishes it could be the snow, wishes it could be as love Oh, wow. So, it's pretty intense to me. <laughs> like it, it sounds a lot like it to me. <laughs> and again, I'm sure it's all subconsciously, you know, getting into that jazz feel. Mm -hmm. And it just probably came back to her. I'm sure it was the version that her mom listened to on record. So. Mm, 1939 Commodore Records? Yeah. Okay, well, make sure to play the right one this time. I know. I heard it from... Um, I think I just went to like Tarot Records or something and saw that there was a Ken Burns jazz Billie Holiday compilation. Really? And it's just a really good compilation album. And so I bought that because, you know, by that point I had heard Tori's Strange Fruit cover and I'd heard other Billie Holiday songs. I'm like, ooh, I want to listen to this. I want to get this. And so that's when I heard it. But yeah, I was looking it up and yeah, April 20th, 1939 on Commodore Records is when she recorded it first. This is probably the main Strange Fruit, but I've heard a couple others where there's a slightly different intro. So. Got it. I'm going to run it by you when we because I'm going to download it and I'll run it by you to make sure. I'll send yeah, it to you. yeah. <laughs> so we don't have another misunderstanding. Yeah, another incident. From what was the last one? Something sounded like a, something so from Godspell? Leather. Oh, yeah. Um. Something from God, yeah, um, look, Turn Back, Oh Man, reminds oh, yeah. me of Leather. And I played the wrong and version. It's of the, yeah, it's because of the jingle, jangly, like, ragtimey piano. Mm -hmm. And the version you played, and that was from, like, the original cast. And what you played was some, like, revival from 10 <laughs> years ago, and it's all synthy. It's all synthy and atmospheric. I'm like, this sounds, like, I was listening to the rap episode, like, this 
sounds nothing like it. Everyone's going to think I'm crazy. <laughs> I was mainly laughing. But <laughs> so we need a wrap-up for the wrap-up is what you're telling me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, Chrissy in her email goes on to say, on a side note, before the 2014 L.A. show at the Greek, my friends Ryan, Ben, and I went to the Dresden beforehand, and I think Ben asked, which one song do you want her to play tonight? We call that Wills and Wants, Chrissy. Yes. <laughs> ben said, purple people. Ryan said, oysters. And I said, fire on the side. Because, you know, she's a dreamer. Not only did she play all three songs, but she played them back to back. That's unbelievable. Did that really happen? Yes. <laughs> I have the set list up. And we, we didn't go to the meet and greet, like, I don't know, LA meet and greet. No, no, blow. thank you. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, we were just at dinner, and, like, we don't even always do that kind of thing. I think Ben brought it up and was like, I really want to hear Purple People. What's one song that each of you want to hear tonight? And, like, that in and of itself is hard. But I think then Ryan said Oysters, because that was the, the new album. And then I... I had just been thinking, like, she played On the Boundary in 2011 in L.A., mm -hmm. and, like, that was awesome. And so I was like, I think she had been playing some Why Can't Tori Read on mm -hmm. this tour, and so I'm, I was like, I really want to hear Fire on the Side. And literally in a row, the eighth song was Purple People, the ninth song was Fire on the Side, and the tenth song was Oysters. I can't believe that. I, that I'm freaking out. The yeah. energy amongst <laughs> your group right, right after Fire on the Side, before Oysters, like what's next? Like that energy probably was just like unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. And that's how you know, like you don't even have to go to a meet and greet. I think Tori yeah. just senses... No, what really. everyone's feeling. I love yeah. my town, but I hate my meet and greets, <laughs> honestly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so they're always so busy, so crowded. I didn't even go to the LA one in 2017, which was the last one of tour. And I didn't go to the one in 2000, uh, the last one in 2005, even, even though she had done hotel for me the night before, just because it, they're so intense. Oh, that was not the Greek. Yeah. yeah. You, can't, you can't go in LA. Yeah, you it was can't. too much. It was too much. <laughs> Ask Ryan and Ben, or please alert them about our game. And just for everybody out there who's been questioning us, on the next tour, we will be doing Wills and Wants again, which is two songs you think she will play and two songs you want her to play every night. And we have like a leaderboard. It, it lasts the whole tour. And there's one grand prize winner. And we also award a golden four if you get all four in one show. So... Yes. Which I'm the only one that got a golden four last time. Really? That's right. You're the only one, right? Yes. Well, wait. At the last show, I think Shay may have gotten. Oh, them maybe all. Shay did. <laughs> um, I will be. We will be rewarding the golden fours this tour. We didn't last tour, but the golden fours this tour. We will be. We got a little thing for you, Chrissy. It's always delightful having you here. Where can people find you on Instagram if they want to stalk you and follow your adventures? Instagram, I'm ChrissyTina18, which is a play on Concertina. Oh, so really? C oh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's C-H-R-I-S-S-Y-T-I-N-A-1-8. And on Twitter, I'm Chrissy Olson. So follow Chrissy, ChrissyTina18, or Chrissy Olson on Twitter. <laughs> and thank you for being on the show, Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking. Always. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
and she's so fun. I hung out with her a lot over the LA shows in December of 2017. Yeah, it was the first yeah. time I had met her in person, her and her friend. Oh, gosh, I can't remember his name at the moment, but he was lovely as well. But yeah, she was great. I really- Wait, what's a good drag name for David that based on Jodie Foster? Based on Jodie Foster. It should involve Starling, so it can be both Jodie Foster and Tori. <laughs> her name is Clary Starling in Silence of the Lambs, oh. so... Oh, I've oh. never seen Silence of the Lambs. Oh, my God. As soon as we watch Sessions, we're watching Silence of the Lambs. I just watched Contact for the first time the other night. Oh, that's great. funny. I we referenced it. Contact recently, too, on the show. Oh, I don't I don't recall that. But actually, I watched it because um, I watch a lot of Trixie and Katya, and Katya is always talking about Contact, you know? <laughs> I saw Trixie Mattel last night. You saw her? I was at that fat slut party, and Trixie was the DJ. There was like three DJs. One <gasps> was DJ Mateo Sagadi, and one was Trixie Mattel. And I was like looking back at the DJ booth, trying to get Mateo's attention, but like the way the DJ booth is situated, I'm so short that like I couldn't even see his eyes. So I'm like trying to jump oh. up and like, you know, it was, I knew he couldn't see me. So I, my friend had this app that has like you can like type words on that you can like show someone across the room and they can read it so i just wrote tori amos on the thing and then i held it up so that he could see it and he looked over the booth and i was like hey and he's like hey and he played tori amos then very next song what did he play professional Widow. yeah oh cool i'm so jealous that you were at a show with trixie djing i know she talks about it all the time on the podcast and on their you know youtube show well, we're back, and I've come up with your drag name, David. Yeah? How do you like Hody Foster? <laughs> Ooh, I, I, I love it. You do? I do. And just can we emphasize the her and Foster? Hody Foster? Hody Foster. Uh-huh. <laughs> love it. Yeah, I like Perfect. it. Perfect. Perfect for you. Why don't you read this email about episode 416, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, and note what this person calls the song. Matthew from Australia called it Christmas in Space, not Merry Little Christmas, though. I hate that this is a mistake, he says. I always knew it didn't quite fit, but I rationalize it to be that Christmas is supposed to be a joyous occasion with family and festive spirit, but space can be this gigantic void of darkness and emptiness, as can Christmas. So we have joy in our life or pretend that we are happy, but there is an emptiness at the same time. I still feel this if it's for Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, though. We're going to fight again. And Shay, you haven't weighed in, but I, where I stand is that I believe the song was supposed to be called Christmas in Space, parentheses, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, as if to say, Christmas in Space, oh, by the way, this is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, but like my Christmas is in space. And David, you believe it was supposed to be Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, parentheses, Christmas in Space? Yeah. What do you think, Shay? I would have to go with David's David's thoughts as well. Yeah, because if there's besides the sounds in like the beginning, you know what I mean? Like the kind of sounds there's it's not like she changed anything. Right. But then how do you explain that she has licensed this song to the Kevin and Bean sampler and they only have it listed as Christmas in space? Not even parentheses, have yourself a Merry Little Christmas or anything. Oh, I don't I don't have an answer for that, my friend. Get Kevin and Bean on the line. No, I can't hold. <laughs> I'll try. I just think the fact that it ended up being purple people, parentheses, Christmas in space, they just moved what it was supposed to be, you know, up a notch and tacked it on to the wrong song. That's possible. Well, yeah, that would make more sense. This could be the thing where an alternative is presented to her. And then she's like, oh, I actually like that better. That's going to be the way it is now. So when she had the opportunity to put this on a compilation, she's like, that's what it's called now. Christmas in space. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. When she was trying to obfuscate sheet machine in the lyrics for Walk to Dublin. (laughs) Someone's like, just say it's a sheep machine. 
If I were recording this song and I had to dress for it, I would wear a Christmas tree costume, but oh. like a sad one, like that looked like Gumby. There's you know, no like other a kind. Foam one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'd wear, and then I would just like have to cut out handholes. <laughs> yeah, like, it would just be like a flat surface with two little hands coming out. Yeah, <laughs> but imagine, yes, I'm really picturing you wearing that exact thing while recording this exact version, which yeah. is so yeah, heart wrenching. And, and you're like yeah, looking exactly. up, and I'm hearing, yeah, like the icy kind of first notes, dun dun dun. And you're like hat, looking up, dressed as a giant Christmas Mary, tree. Oh my mom. god, this needs to happen. Yeah. So sad. I want to do that. My mom is going to have a farewell yes. cookie party, I think, next year, and you need to perform. So start getting ready now. I will learn that song. Learn just how to play the piano. I will do that. Yeah. Have yourself. And I'll paint my face green. <laughs> All right, Shay. Oh, to record this song, I would want to wear the same dress that Rosemary Clooney wore in the movie White Christmas, you know, when they are mm. doing the sisters, sisters, the blue one. Of with course. All the feathers. That's the one I want to wear. There couldn't be a more Tory answer than to be like, oh, <laughs> oh, little Christmas sisters. I would wear the sexy Santa outfits from Mean Girls when they perform at Ooh. the school holiday show because I've never once felt sexy but not sad at the same time. <laughs> they go hand in hand as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> the braids you painted pink for bachelorettes. You tried to show him that he can, but you can never rush a man. You must remember you're a girl. You're a star girl. You were in the dark. The tide will turn. Episode 417, Bachelorette, was one of my favorites that we've ever done. I don't know about y'all, but it was one of my favorites. I love that song. I really enjoyed putting that episode together. And my interview with Jessica Ren Butler is actually one of my favorite interviews today. I've never had the privilege to talk to somebody who is the physical embodiment of a Tori Amos song. And I just really felt really good about that episode. Friend of the show, Stina, wrote us after the show to say, Love, love, love the Bachelorette episode. Some really deep thoughts. Braves, you painted pink. What if this is in reference to the Bachelorette marking a man with a little stick print? Thank you, Mad Men, and the Belle Jolie campaign of Mark Your Man inspiration. A mild version of branding. And even though I'm Team Dream, not remembered, it could be a cheeky little memory jolt and a prompt. Happy summer, lovelies. What do you think? First of all, Stina, how could you not be team remembered? You even remembered his name. And what's the other choice? You even dream about his name. No. Am I the only one who listens yeah, to no, Amos on this phone call? It's remembered. Sorry, you're very good at pulling lyrics just like that. Actually, you both are pretty good at that. I have to go back and, and look at it. So no, I've, I've always thought it was remembered. I've never heard. Well, what do you think the, about the Braves you painted pink being like marking a man with like a pink print or like a pink branding the braves you painted pink metaphorical marking it doesn't even have to be literal but like you've changed them in some manner because you've been with them oh the braves you painted pink you know does that make sense yeah that could make sense too did she mean lipstick because it says lil and i think when we read it we said with a little stick print but i think that must mean a lipstick print right <laughs> Oh, well, damn it. That makes more sense. Now this doesn't make more sense. sense. 
<laughs> well, that's not my fault. It was a typo in the original yeah. message. <laughs> Thank you, Stina. You've rocked our world. You mark him with a little stick print when you're beneath ground. Oh, no. <laughs> oh a little oh, lipstick print. Okay. Eric Williams also had some thoughts on this episode, too. Why don't you read them, David? Okay. Eric messaged us to say, think about Dustin DeChampagne. You even remember his name. What if this is a reference to either the creation of Adam in Genesis and or a reference to Jesus turning water into wine? Oh, and then he gives us a Bible quote. Yeah. From Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we see, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. Uh, in the song, the eponymous bachelorette sees what God has done, takes the same dust, and creates champagne instead. She remembers the creation of Adam and how well that went for womankind while she sips her bubbly with her gal pals. This could also pull in the biblical wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns water into wine. Sure, water into wine is all well and good, but what about the dust into champagne? I feel like if we read this whole thing to Tori, she would just say, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's exactly you know, she, what she's, I meant. I'll bet you anything, she's never thought of that. But if we presented her with that, she'd be like, yeah, that's that's right. I was thinking that the whole time. Right. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Of course. Uh-huh. What else could it be? Yeah. She'd say, it's both. <laughs> it's both. Why don't you read this one, Shay? Okay. One of our favorite listeners, Amber, wrote to reveal that I just finished the Bachelorette episode. Wonderful as always. But I wanted to add that I walked down the aisle to a snippet of Yanta's version of Father Lucifer, which actually makes a great wedding march. I love it. We had asked in one of our earlier episodes, we asked something about like what makes a good wedding song and a bunch of people responded. At my sister's wedding, she had Yanta's kind of on shuffle playing throughout when people were being seated, you know, before the ceremony began. And it was such a it just Mm. set the tone so beautifully. That's awesome. Perfect. All right, Shay, what would you wear to record a bachelorette? I am the opposite of sexy when it comes to like a girl's night out. You know, if I was ever to go to clubs, which I've gone to like twice with my girlfriends that are into that kind of thing. And they're all dressed, you know, cute. And yeah, (laughs) well, no, like (laughs) I wore pretty clothing. So let's just say that I'm going to be like, you know, I'm not a turtle in that kind of girl, but I'm not ever, you'll never find me in like a halter top and a mini skirt. So what's a happy medium? I, okay. I'm going to say, put me in Tori's winter outfit. That's what I'm going to wear to record Bachelorette. Wow. Mm. You know, the bell bottoms and the tank top and yeah, the cute, right? Cute. Cute. Yeah. Cute, cute. Have you seen Jenny Slate's amazing Netflix special, Stage Fright? No. Yes. Well, in it, she wears what what kind of looks like a strange little tour outfit. She describes it as a tuxedo for women who like to move. It's almost like a palazzo wide leg pant. That's what I would wear. Jenny Slate's onstage Mm. sexy lady tuxedo so that I could, you know, I could really move around, but still be formal. I would wear what Tori wore on Sessions. That apron, that outfit, boom. Would you wear the bodysuit under or would you go Jackie Strength single with just the apron? <laughs> no, I would. <laughs> oh, maybe. If I'm in my own private recording studio in Cornwall, uh-huh. I might just do the apron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
could not have anticipated the backlash that we'd receive after episode 419, Cooling, when we erroneously said that Cooling was one of only two songs she'd performed before they were released. The hunky Tim Carew wrote to put me in my place, and I welcome it. He said, okay, I hate being this person. Do you? That only references my one moment of Tory glory and references it over and over again. She played Seaside in Portland in spring of 03, but it was not released on sunny Florida until 04. Okay, fair Mm. enough. It was recorded, though. He wins. I always will let him win. But he should have stopped while he was ahead because he went on to say, Also, I'm in the middle of the cooling episode, and you guys are talking about if it's Eric or Mark, but it's obviously Trent Reznor. I just don't Wait, think... Wait, did you just say that cooling is obviously about Trent Reznor? Yeah, that's what Tim... Did my did my what... ears hear that correctly? I think you must have passed out when I said it the first time, because you're just coming around. <laughs> you're like, what? Um, Trent that's Reznor? That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Sign, seal, delivered, chez <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, moving on. Why don't you read these other thoughts from Eric Williams, David, about our cooling episode... I clearly don't know what Driven Snow is, and it rubbed people the wrong way. The wrong way. That's fine. You're always rubbing people the right way. So it's about time. Eric Williams said, I'm loving this. I was expecting this. a crueler comment. No. Why? Is that what you think oh, of me? <laughs> I don't know. It was just for the comic timing of it. Yes. Uh, all right. Eric Williams wrote to say, loving this app. At least he softened it a little bit before he dove into telling us what we did wrong. Um, hashtag cooling super fan. <laughs> the brambles have always made me think of the thorns around Sleeping Beauty's castle and could be a metaphor for those internal barriers we put up to keep people out and keep ourselves safe, but end up keeping us apart as well. I don't keep people out. I don't put up barriers. <laughs> I'm not defensive. What are you talking about? I don't have any brambles. I would be a hashtag cooling bridge devotee. It is my favorite part of the song, both lyrically and musically. LOL. I'm listening to the app as I send these thoughts in the moment. The way I've always read driven like the snow, as in pure as the driven snow. Driven in the sense means carried by the wind. And the overall phrase means to be pure, innocent, unsullied. She may be referring to her POV of her part in this uncoupling. And then he gives us more on the phrase pure as the driven snow, morally unsullied. I'm not familiar. Chaste, as in she's just 16 and pure as the driven snow. This simile dates from the late 1500s, although driven, which means carried by the wind into drifts, was occasionally omitted. It is heard less often today. Fine. You win, Eric. You always do. You've won this round, Williams. All right, back to our game. Back to what wardrobe you would suit up in to record cooling. I'll go first. It is 1998 when I'm recording this. I will be dressed as Carmen Miranda um, with a lot of fruit on my head, but primarily a big pineapple. (laughs) Since it's 1996. You don't think that. (laughs) You know what I'd wear? I would wear like a big muff that you could put your hands in, but then Mm. put them out the opposite side and like have to play opposite that to me is cooling more okay yeah um i'm gonna say like a flowing glittering dress like i'm wearing the ocean as a dress oh i would definitely wear pineapple earrings i like the pineapple theme you guys have going Mm -hmm. i'll wear pineapples on my shoes 
I have a hot expose for y'all. So Matthew from Australia wrote us again to say, actually, I just finished cooling and I thought there would have been more time spent on the line. This ocean is wrapped around that pineapple tree because I don't get it. And it's always stuck with me. Pineapples don't even grow on trees. And how many times did we hear from people saying like, wait, you guys like either got that part wrong or you didn't go too deep into it. And it's true. Like we really maybe kind of glossed over it i think when i was listening back to that well i'm sorry i'm a toriologist and not a botanist that's okay david you don't have to apologize because robin on twitter did the work for us and he said so i'm just catching up and want to throw a twist into your cooling episode was she possibly using the uk term go for a ride meaning to have sex so using (laughs) sex to try to get him back And the ocean wrapped around the pineapple tree is the sex. She's the ocean. His pineapple tree is, you know, his anatomy. But he was just in it for the screw. So she begs him, is it worth giving up these kisses? Then the resolution, but this is cooling. I fell in love with that interpretation. Absolutely. This ocean is wrapped around that pineapple tree. Physically, like my legs are wrapped around you. Your pineapple tree. Like I am obsessed with that imagery. I'm obsessed with that interpretation. Even emotionally and metaphorically, my ocean of love, you have an ocean of love. And, you know, she's obsessed with, obviously, a thousand oceans came the next year and whatever. My ocean is wrapped around your pineapple tree. Like, again, unless he looks like a pineapple with his hair as the pineapple part, I don't know. I love it. I love it, Robin. I think you're 100% right. I would mm-hmm. take that to Tori Amos right now. I think that's probably right. I like that, too. But suddenly, ocean to ocean is seeming a lot more lesbianic to me. <laughs> <laughs> delightful you think it's right david isn't that yeah isn't i actually do that is beautiful yeah but i also would like to say if we manage to embarrass ourselves to this degree on cooling imagine how detura is gonna go like i don't know about these plants oh sorry frangipani <laughs> <laughs> Even though no one had anything to say about our Do It Again and Never Seen Blue episodes, we should still talk about what we'd wear to record them. What do you think, David? Yeah, I want Shay to go first. Okay, so Do It Again, I'm like thinking about my parents and what they looked like in the late 70s, early 80s. Although I don't really remember when this song came out from Steely Dan. But I want to wear those clothes. So I'm back to the bell-bottom look, like the 70s bell-bottom. Not so giant, but really cool. And like maybe a men's collared shirt, you know, that's like brown and orange and yellow striped or something. And like a cute hat, like forget the hat. I'm going to have pigtails, you know, (laughs) cute ones that are like long, like Sarah Silverman wears. That's what I want to look like when I record this. You adequately Coco Chanel'd yourself. You took one look in the mirror before you went out and you were like, no, it's too much. I'm going to take one thing off. Forget the the hat. (laughs) Forget the hat. What about Never Seen Blue? Um, For Never Seen Blue. Okay. Um, That's a lovely love song. So I think I'm going to wear something like a pink summer dress. And I know it's not blue, but blue isn't red. Pink isn't blue. So I'm going to wear a pink dress. And I'm dressing myself in a lot of dresses. This coming from a girl, I never wear dresses. So obviously in my like fantasy world, I wear dresses all the time. But yeah, like a pink summer sundress. 
For Do It Again, I would wear a skin-tight mini dress. I might, as I'm performing and getting those high notes, I might, like, arch my back out and the dress might come up over my behind. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> it's a wild recording session. And the dress would be pink with, like, New York graffiti pattern on it. That's what it would be. Mm. Very cool. And then for Never Seen Blue, I would have to wear a pantsuit. <laughs> I would wear a classy pantsuit. Mm. What color? Silver. Silver. Ooh. With a nice A-line. David? For Do It Again, Shay, I would take the hat. I'll take the hat you're not wearing. I would wear a cowboy hat and an Old West gun holster and nothing else. Ooh. Yeah, and definitely like no manscaping of any kind because it's the 70s. I feel similarly to you. Like the song makes me it's think of the 70s. It's not the 70s. So. You're not recording the original Do It Again. You're recording the cover of Do It Again yeah, in 1997. Yeah, I know, but the song still makes me think of the 70s. So that's what I'm going with. So is this going to be your runway look when you walk out as Hody Foster? You're going to be wearing just the gun holster and the hat? That makes sense, too. Hody Foster. her Oh, wait. I'm sorry. We have to change your drag name. To what? Hody Froster. <laughs> what about Hody Holster? Hody Froster. Froster. Yes. Hody Froster. That will be my runway look, and I'll playfully pull the guns out and, like, you know, pretend to, like, shoot playful in the air. Twirl them on your fingers. And then blow on my fingers. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Uh-huh. For Never Seen Blue, I would wear Carrie's wedding dress from the Sex and the City movie, especially because she has, like, a big blue bird on her head. That's where the birdie's been. So I think that incorporates this love relationship, and I'll also show you where the birdie's been. Okay, Beulah Land. Our most recent episode, Beulah Land, prompted Eric Williams to write us his thoughts. Shay, read us Eric's thoughts. Okay. Eric says, This song for me, especially after this deep dive, really brings up a lot of difficulties I have with church culture. I attend and serve in what would be considered a mega church here in Canada. We have roughly 4,000 congregants, over four services every Sunday. Compare that to some American mega churches with upwards of 19 to 20K. And I love the message of Jesus and the hope it provides, and I am still working through what my path beside him looks like. That being said, I have a great deal of angst about the culture of separation that is an undercurrent among churchgoers. Our pastor spoke about this very attitude from the stage during a sermon about judgment, where he said it is not our role as Christians to hold non-Christians to the same standard that we live by. It is not our role to judge, which he clarified to mean criticize or condemn non-Christians, but to show them through us what a life based in Christ following could look like. There is still this pervasive tradition among churchgoers to pity the non-Christians, to hold themselves apart from those who are different, and to judge or condemn those who are on a different path. And my distaste for this attitude most definitely bubbled up to the surface during this interpretation. I say that mainly to identify that for this song at least, my interpretation may carry a heavy bias. Hopefully I have not spun my interpretation too much around my own angst on the subject matter. I do very much try to base my understanding of the songs on what I find in my research, but this one nudged my soapbox a bit. And then he goes into an incredibly detailed, thorough, and really thoughtful interpretation of Beulah Lands, which is really great read. Unfortunately, it's too long to read on the air, but if you want to read that, you can go to our show notes page, songsoftraymas.com, and we'll put a link there that says Eric's thoughts on Beulah Land, and you can find it. It's really interesting. So thank you for that, Eric. 
you know, when you're in the Tory community, I don't know if you two have this feeling, but like throughout my time in the Tory community, I haven't really interacted with many people who uh, go to church. You know, there's, I think, few and far between. And so I think it's interesting when people like Natalie Lodigo Bond, for example, or Eric Williams here have like a faith-based interpretation or like, you know, it's just really interesting. And David also has like an old background in the church. So yeah, I do too. You do too? Oh, yeah. I was raised very Christian um, just up until I was maybe 13, 14-ish. Then I kind of decided that I didn't want to go to church every Sunday. But yeah, I totally, my parents were divorced. So when we were with my mom on those weekends, we went to church every Sunday that we were with her. And we loved it. My sister and I were totally into youth group and all that. Actually, it's when I found Tori's music, I was like, oh, <laughs> this is wow. way, yeah, it, it made me question everything that I had kind of learned and been taught. And I've brought, you know, I've brought some of what I learned along with me in life. But um, yeah, you're right. It is rare to come across people that are super fans of Tori that are also, you know, involved in the church. I had a pretty similar experience, of course. And I just love that all of those um, reviews of her early albums from Christian publications were right. That Tori's basically like mm. a, a Pied Piper leading teenagers away from Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to give a shout out for one of our listeners, Janelle Campion, who I got an opportunity to meet in New Orleans, incredible artist. She writes to say, hello, dears. I'm writing to share about a series I'm creating on my blog, which features sound healing tools and contemplations on color based on one of my paintings. My hope is to encourage people to de-stress and integrate. Your podcasts totally do that for me, and I hope this project lets me return the favor a bit. She writes, I'm about halfway through, and new posts generally happen on Fridays, but today I talked to her, and she's fully done. So they're her body poems. Check them out. JanelleLeeCampion.com. J-E-N-E-L-L-E-L-E-I-G-H-C-A-M-P-I-O-N.com. And of course, we're going to link to that in our show notes. JanelleLeeCampion.com. Janelle, we love you. Can't wait to see you on tour. Awesome. We're going to kick it over to my short little interview with Andrew Mars about his playlist. Excited to invite to the show Andrew Mars. He's a conceptual recording artist outside of Philadelphia making albums about the inner world under the name Settled Arrows. Hi, Andrew. Hi, how's it going? Pretty great. Um, I've been spinning your playlist Orbital for what now, like three or four months? 
Oh, sweet. Yeah, me too. This is a Madonna Tory playlist that was given to us by Danielle, or sent to us by Danielle Trachtenberg. I've checked out your other playlist. You've got Abnormally Attracted to Venus, Hunters for Pele, Strange Little Doll Posse, you know, like these sister playlists, which I love. Yes, thank you. Yay. Let's talk about you and what you do for a living and how you came to Tory. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. This is like the funniest thing that's happened to me in a while. <laughs> I'm really happy to be involved. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a recording artist. I make albums, concept albums. I guess I'm very influenced by Tori. Um, she kind of like lit the way for me as an artist. I am a piano-based artist, too. I like to joke that I'm the Kate Bush of my generation, but people just don't know yet. Um <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I've been making records for a while. Um, I published essays, too, about my creative process. And one of my little boasts, I guess, is that um, before Tori's recent book, I published an essay called um, Art as Resistance, The Creative Process as Resistance. She stole it from you. She stole it from me. How dare she? (laughs) Tell us more about the essay. Well, I was just writing about how in a world where American Idol has sort of was the beginning of art being turned into a competitive sport, for numbers and ranking, and it's they've turned it into a zero-sum game. And I, so I wrote actually a lot about my depression of not making music uh, in face of that reality. But um, a lot of what I'm cr- trying to create is something that's outside of that realm, something that can get people to access things that we're not talking about, ways in which we communicate online. My first record, Public Privacy, I recorded on my Android cell phone as sort of like a conceptual nod to how are we communicating through these things, what's the actual possibility of the internet, that kind of stuff. These are all questions I've been exploring for a long time. I um, also made a concept album about a pandemic in 2014. If it had anything to do with two specific bodies of water, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> no. So those are my things that I like have as my like little feather in my cap when I tell people that my work is important. I would say that with Tori, it's kind of a procrastination tool making these playlists. I really love and normally attracted to sin. So I'm do like I. a diehard fan. Of, Me too. I love the album. Yeah. And that was actually the beginning of my like making these playlists because I was so sick of people talking down on that record. And I was like, no, when you put it side by side with Venus, you can hear that these songs are like interesting and compelling. And, um, and then it just became kind of a thought exercise to work on. But with these playlists, I put like an inordinate amount of time into them. Like, hours of time like making sure the sequence is good Mm -hmm. but it's funny the things that emerge from it well especially with this madonna playlist orbital the overlap between their work is just kind of amazing especially in that era i mean they're using a lot of the same synth sounds the bass lines are often very similar but like merman and mergirl Mm-hmm. They both sing about apple orchards. Now, this is like conspiracy theory level paying attention to this stuff, but there's just a lot of overlap that is was surprising once I got into the playlist and like sequencing it. I love that playlist. It's such a vibe. Yeah, it's definitely a vibe. I recommend everybody check it out if you haven't already. Um, you can find it just in our public playlists because we follow that playlist, or you can find Andrew on Spotify under Andrew Mars on his own and check out all those playlists. Now, it's interesting that you said you told me off the air that you became a Tory fan in like 97. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. You know, that my biggest memory of Madonna in that time is being at the Las Cruces Community Theater and hearing that Madonna had just given birth to her first child and being so thrilled for her. Like, oh my gosh, just being right? so excited. <laughs> like, well, almost... that's another overlap with this album and Tori's work at the time, too, I guess, just because they're both looking at issues of motherhood mm-hmm. um, from different sides at that point in time, marriage. Mm-hmm. 
these sorts of things. And before there was Tori for me, before there was Tori, there was Madonna. I mean, like, I was obsessed with Madonna back in the day. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I had my mother making me dresses so I could do dance routines to True Blue. Like, <laughs> I think that's the first tape I ever owned. Really? Yeah. And, you know, I actually got some flack from the Tory fan community about this playlist, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, yeah. I think that people came for me saying that it was, like, misogynist to compare two women. And oh. I really had to, like, sit with that for a second. And I was like, no, these just happen to be my two favorite artists. Thank you. Because the amount of times I've heard when I've played my favorite song, Hotel, when I've played that for people... And the amount of times I've heard, this sounds like Madonna on that song. Yeah. I don't hear it. I hear what other people can see in it. Then I made another playlist to troll the fan community back called Myra and Madge, uh. <laughs> <laughs> which, was, which was more loosely based on the fact that there's Cars and Guitars and Body Shop, two mm. songs in which <laughs> they both like have kind of the same lyrics, essentially. And so... I know. and um, But that one, I was playing in the background, and my next-door neighbor could hear my music, and she was like, I love this Madonna song. And I was like, actually, that that song is Cool on Your Island by Tori Amos. Oh. <laughs> so, like, a casual listener really does start to, like, confuse them. And if you put the playlist on long enough... Yeah, it's 57 songs to... long. <laughs> It's <laughs> yes. about the length of a normal Tory album, and right? Even the picture you've chosen of Madonna from Confessions on a Dance Floor looks yes. like Tory in Midwinter Grace's era. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's yeah. a lot of overlap here. They're both Leos. <laughs> They're both Le exactly. Leo Mama. Here's a question for you. What's the perfect crossfade for your playlist? Oh, so for Orbital, I think the perfect crossfade is three seconds. Three seconds? For that particular one. And then also that uh, that playlist is three hours and 33 mm -hmm. minutes long, mm -hmm. which I'm also very proud of. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it'll help you remember. Good. Three. It's three seconds. Maybe you should do like a little like icon at the bottom of the picture that says three second crossfade. <laughs> so people will know because it's so important to the flow. It is actually. So yeah, yeah I should add that for the in the um, about section on you the playlist. Should. You should. Thank you for the suggestion. You're I will welcome. do so immediately. Well, Andrew, thank you for being on our show. Follow Andrew on Instagram at Settled Arrows. Check out all of his playlists. These sister playlists are so interesting. And I always make a playlist, 10 or 12 tracks. I I'm like rocked that your playlists go on forever. <laughs> so Well, I, I want, don't want to upset any of the fans. Like sometimes I would post it and I had edited things out and people would be like, but where's blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I'd be like, okay. So I was like trying to be all inclusive because people are already mad that I'm doing it anyway. But I think it's because they're so good that they, they can't argue with them. They're so good, in fact, that I asked Andrew right before this to make us a playlist for our show around the theme Dark Holiday Music. And he did. It's called Stay Broken. We'll link to it in our show notes. And make sure you give him a follow on Spotify. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This has been a blast. Thanks for chatting. Bye. Bye. be back on the road. Yeah, but we've been at this so long, doesn't it feel like we've walked from ocean to ocean? Hello, boys. Shaladriel? Shaladriel? Yes, Samwise Ganjeev. Yes, Dilbo Aggins. It is I. Congratulations. You've made it to the end of your journey. Our time in Tordor is done? 
I don't even recall returning the spark. Yes, you have. You probably don't remember because it was like a spark off an engine. Throughout this journey, you've talked about things that were, things that are, and some things that have not yet come to pass. Well, I for one am glad to finally have a rest. No, no. You must continue your journey through the solar field. What? Where to? And will we come back? And when will you sail us home? No, no. It's time. You must go. Please, get out of my garden. Are we entering the photon band? Are we now in the photon band? You are not in the photon band. Now, billow out to somewhere. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm not even aware of what the rules are, but I know that we must run! we did it. Another record on the shelf. Thank you to everyone out there for listening and subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and soon Amazon podcasts as well. We couldn't do any of this without our very wonderful and generous Patreon supporters. If you're not yet a supporter, you can find us at patreon.com slash songs of Tori Amos. We have a ton of bonus audio content at every level, so consider supporting us if you're able. The From the Choir Girl Hotel season, parts one and two, were co-hosted by David Anderson and myself, Efren Jr. And the whole kit and caboodle was produced by me via my production company, The Sideway Society. Follow our sister shows, Never Shut Up, our daily touriscope, as well as Tour All Night, which will be making its triumphant return this very week in preparation for the Ocean to Ocean Tour. If you're like my ex and you want to keep tabs on us, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Songs of Tori Amos. You can leave a voicemail at 323-296-9955. You can email us at songsoftoriamos at gmail.com. And you can sign up for our newsletter, which you absolutely should do, at songsoftoriamos.com. The season would not have been possible without our team. Our librarian and researcher, Shay Stymack, our voice from the past, Shaggy Jason, our Neil Gaiman correspondent, Lauren Eshwi, our fact checker and media mailer, Dorothy Dotson, our resident real life doctor, Paul Roy Taylor, and of course, our sister with all the misters and all the answers, Michael Carley. We would like to thank all the guests that have shared their time and insights this season, including director James Brown, conductor David Furman, writer Antonella Gambato-Burke, guitarist Al Perkins, musician Thomas Irwin, author Megan Milks, and all the superfans that have shared their thoughts, including James Farron, Craig Maddox, Liz Knickerbocker, Amber Evanson, Eric Reed, Tom Christopherson, Jane Lamb, Glohawa, Douglas Nepper, Natalie Lodico-Bond, 
David Keith Alexander, Alicia Scholl, Laura Crum, Cecily Landfield, Pamela Rollin, Marla Darling, Abby Stevens, Kathleen Patrone, Catherine McManus, Alexander Leger Small, our favorite Pele baby, Colin, Jared Good, Carolyn Mann, Barkley Squared, Aaron Zamora, Aaron Marie, Jeremy Culver, Jeremy Elder, Shane Bettenhausen, Gary Herricks, Mixie, Jessica Wren Butler, Ashley Osterer, Stina Duvall, Alicia Parker, John Ausler, Peter Zimmerman, Julie Suzanne, Emily Cousins, Krista Bauman, Jesse Colby, Mike Gillis, Chrissy Olson, Andrew Mars, and last but certainly not least, Lisa B. If you want to be a guest on the Tavinas and Back season, you can either call us or email us at songsofToriamis at gmail.com and we will get back to you. Once again, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon. Drive All Night is a production of the Sideways Society. For more information and links to things mentioned in this episode, please visit us online at songsoftoriamis.com.